Yes, sir. You know how I sometimes do musical intros? Mm-hmm. And I try to rhyme the movie name mm-hmm. with a song everyone will know. Well, this time, I thought all day and all night, because we already tried to record this once, and due to technical issues, you, we're doing it again. Did you put your thinking hat on? And I just can't shake one sound-alike song. Can I sing it for you and see if you can identify the song? Because what's different is it's unlikely people will know this song, but I'm wondering yeah, I, if you I probably won't, <clears throat> but go ahead. Christine, I don't know what you do to me. The best that you can do for me is murder all my friends. <laughs> No, I don't, know, I don't know what you're doing, but I mean, it's I'm, also re- it was really flat and I like bet if not I the right melody. It, I bet if I heard it, I would know what that Christine bit is. That's unique, but I bet I haven't even heard this song. It's Maureen, a song by an incredibly underrated band, the Fountains of Wayne, or in this case, the Fountains of Pain. Would be the Fountains of Wayne. It felt like Did a you? Fountains of Wayne song, and I know you love Fountains of Wayne, and I'm not a big Fountainhead, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Fountainhead, right? The Fountainhead. Yeah. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do Let that. Let no man control your ambition. <laughs> hey, so we are talking about Christine. This is yes, the Kings we... of King, mm-hmm. uh, and that was your Fountains of Wayne recommendation for the month. So hey, give a listen. Uh, out of state plates is a good place to start. Anywho, we're talking about a 1983 film based on a novel by Stephen King, which of course is the purview of this podcast. I'm Michael Swaim. I'm Abe Epperson. And uh, Christine was directed by John Carpenter. Hey. So he's spiritually in the room with us as well. And uh, yeah, as I said, this is our second run through. But mm-hmm. you know, vroom, vroom. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited yeah. again. Uh, this movie's way better than I expected, right, Abe? There's a, um, I guess, a car exploitation subgenre of uh, horror movies called the evil car subgenre, and this is crazy because some people argue got it started with like, um, I guess, the 1981 Evil Dead, uh, but I think it even predates that. That I'm not- car wasn't evil. It wasn't was it? evil, but it like. Or is there a sequence where it hurt, where it fights someone? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's where it's like alive. Um, so like the idea of using film grammar and tricks to make a car right. hurt I, someone. My film knowledge on car horror movies is pretty shoddy. I'll be honest, but like <laughs> I, I there, there's definitely been a lot of films that have well, come Maximum out Overdrive is another sub-genre. Stephen King what that that's gonna come up. Yeah. Right, and I think that Christine is like kind of. The cream of the crop, right? Like, how good can that subgenre really it's, be? <laughs> yeah, it's the room in the room. Yeah, it's, so I uh, think this is the one. This is the one uh, you need for that concept. Well, I would argue the Futurama episode, The Honkening, or Honking, I always forget. It should mm-hmm. be The Honkening, I feel like. Uh, I think it's just The Honking. It may be the best, but, oh, because it's like The Howling. I get it. But. Right. If you count that, I guess you're saying films, but I also, that also brings to mind while we're on it, the easiest way to describe this movie in a nutshell, I think is you think it's the Futurama episode where he turns into an evil car, the honking, Mm -hmm. but it's not, it's the Futurama episode where the ship is sentient and it falls in love with Bender and starts killing all his friends. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, everything you need to know about the plot of Christine. 
I love how your brain considers all story just like what Futurama episode is it? <laughs> That's right. Well, because they took the sort of the Simpsons eye and turned it to we're going to Rolodex every sci-fi ho- trope ever. Mm-hmm. They basically did. Almost almost every sci-fi thing you can find. A, oh, that's a Futurama. But we digress. Should we get into the segment so we can actually break down what happens in this? So we can look under the hood. No, that's not it, though. No? That's not the name of the segment, but no, I like the enthusiasm. That's, that's what we'll be doing, metaphorically. <laughs> So, so yeah, yeah. So this is called Under the Dome. Our best guess puts the dome at 20,000 feet, sir. Did he just call it a dome? You think we might be stuck in here a while? Under the Dome. This is the elevator synopsis of the movie, just to get you all acclimated if you haven't seen it. I don't know why you're listening to this, you crazy people. No, I think I could imagine definitely listening to this episode because you like Kings of King. God bless you. And... Not watching Christine because it's a 1983 evil car movie and you might be like, I bet that one's not that good. I'll just listen to the boys break it down and hear what funny (laughs) bibbles come up. But that's why I led the episode with like, I think you should watch this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, you know, uh, for a guy whose initials are JC and his last name is Carpenter. He he delivered unto us a good movie. No, my point is that um, true craftsman. Yeah, he is a true craftsman, and I always underestimate John Carpenter. I'm like, yeah, hokey horror director, blah blah blah. Let's watch this thing, and I always find myself thinking okay. very pointedly. John Carpenter knows how to put a movie together. I and think it is, it's Carpenter-like. Uh, he puts it together like a good chest of drawers. It's just like solid. It's solid. Solid I, movie. Man, I, we can't get in. I don't think he's hokey. I think he's one of the best filmmakers ever. Well, personally. in a low-key way, though. Do you he know really what I mean for, or am I that, wrong? No, absolutely. You're absolutely right. I think he's sneaky uh, with how good he is. Right. Well, because you um, love is, the things, your favorite horror movie. He's picture perfect when it gets it gets to like the mechanics of stuff, and he's inventive, as we'll find out later. We'll talk a little bit more about how this one, like, when we talk about like technical feats, um, mm. in terms of for the scale of movies, we talk about things like lightsabers or Star Wars and miniatures, or we talk about Avatar and the digital age and like yeah, um, we do composite. All we These talk are things about, that isn't it? It's all we talk about. But uh, I no one no one ever brings up Carpenter as a guy who uh, who actually found some very intelligent ways to shoot sequences just out of necessity and knocked it out of the park. I think people do bring up Halloween and the thing, but that's about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the things case, it's more the effects team. I mean, under his stewardship, but the effects team really knocked it out of the park. Oh Uh, yeah. Regardless, should we cram this car into an elevator, a feat in its own right? Yeah, so it kind of starts uh, in 1957. Uh, our evil mm-hmm, car mm-hmm. is being assembled, and it's a which is interesting because that I'm sorry to interrupt so fast, but that kind of indicates something that I think does bear out. That's interesting. It's mm-hmm. kind of the Cars movie. Yes, it's like a biopic of the car. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which it's is like great because I think the car, the murderous if you're gonna car. use film tricks to anthropomorphize an inanimate object, 
you got to do that trick from that classic uh, paper documentary. You got to follow the object in interesting ways because objects, what's mm-hmm. interesting about them is they outlast humans and they lead different lives. They move from, you know, situation to situation. They mm-hmm. trade owners. Uh, and I think anyway, I'm gushing about way, the movie is, too much. Is, so please continue. That is an amazing reference. You just reference a little scene, Chris Marker documentary for the French National Library. <laughs> that's that's just a no. As the paper doc. Uh, that's funny. Only true cinephiles will really get that one. That's a Points. deep cut. But yeah, so it's our uh, Christine is a 1958 Plymouth Fury. Um, and it kind of starts with a real quick sequence because uh, it's over credits. Um, that uh, a line worker is inspecting the the engine and the hoods up, and then for no reason whatsoever, it falls on his hand, and he's he's mauled by the car. So that's like image one of the car. Also, it's the only red car on the line. Um, I love. There's no explanation for no, why. It's just like that I just one. got the Fury connection. Of course, King picked Fury. That's a King good model Fury, to pick. Yeah. But. Uh, why are there six white identical Plymouths on this right. assembly and line? One and one. one is naughty red. Naughty <laughs> red. That That's car. absolutely right. And then and another. My, yeah, huh? go ahead. Another well, worker was, uh, foreman mm-hmm. kind of comes in and the uh, inspects the car, I guess. Uh, I don't know what he's doing because he's, he's, go- he's going inside the car, closing the door, and he's smoking a cigar. Uh, and he... It jump cuts and or it uh, it cuts discontinuity cut at the end of the shift. Another person approaches, opens the door, and he falls out and he's dead. Yeah, so, this is a scene that made me briefly underestimate. I think it set a low bar for my expectations on how hokey the movie was going to be because it's honestly the least clear maneuver in the movie. I think. Yeah. Because they do an insert shot of the cigar ash falling to Christine's seat as if there's going to be like a burn issue which does not resolve and then the guy's just dead and you can assume christine magically gave him a heart attack because christine magically makes people choke it's like Mm -hmm. within the car the car can make whatever happen but i still found the film grammar not clear in or very effective in a way that does not match the rest of the movie. So I think that was the one-two punch. You always have a nice film-going experience when the very first scene makes you go, oh, this is going to suck. And then you go, no, this was good. Yeah. <laughs> it's always yeah. fun. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely one of the weaker sequences in terms of making you understand what's going on. But I don't think it's supposed to be in service of that. Uh, I think it's supposed to just kind of tell you, hey, something's up with this car. Cause it's already a big offer in nineteen eighty three to be like, imagine like an evil car. You know, it's like Stephen King's knocking out Cujo's and Christine's. It's it, Ooh, it's available. That would be a good Freddy versus Jason situation, Cujo versus Christine, because he hates cars. <laughs> That's true, but I think it's pretty one-sided since every battle between a dog and a car ever has gone one way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you rarely see the dog come out that of that one. one. Except that yeah. one time in 1985. When that dog, <laughs> when that ate, dog slowly ate a car piece by piece, and yeah. the car was trying to get away. It yeah. took six days. Yeah, it took six days to we eat. We salute that good pupper (laughs) yeah but um so that's kind of the opening sequence uh which is of note because um that's not in the book um oh that 
Yeah, but anyway. Yeah, uh, it literally is an opening sequence. It's like getting handed a business card that says, there is an evil car. And you're yeah. like, okay, all right. I understand the concept. Moving it. on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so 21 years later, it's uh, 1978, and we introduce our uh, protagonist, Arnie, uh, who's kind of an uh, awkward, unpopular teen, kind of a nerd, a loser. Um, loser. Yeah, and he's got... Uh, a friend who's like the popular kid in school, the like quarterback of the football team. And his name is Dennis. And they kind of, I mean, they're just good friends. Uh, and we even see Dennis protect Arnie. Uh, Cause we see like kind of one of the first images at the school is that there's a group of three, three to four bullies. I think one of them runs away at the beginning of this scene, but uh, they like pull a knife on Arnie. Yeah, and there's John Travolta bully, and there's Jonah Hill bully, and then yeah. forgettable third bully. Yeah, it's and it's real. Uh, it reminds me of like history of violence. Like it's real basic kind of teenage drama bullies, well, which is like course, I don't we like gotta, you. I'll we got to ring the bell for the Stephen King bully with a switchblade alert. Because uh, it's classic Stephen King, right? right? And I will say something I thought I'd found very fresh was that relationship you mentioned where Dennis is the big man on campus jock, but he just happens mm. to be also a very nice guy, which of course happens in life. I yes. knew that guy in high school. And so I love that the jock at this school is nice. So the bully's just some random other kid who's clearly 35 years old but he's in a tight t-shirt so he's 17 whatever uh but man you're right it goes hard as far as like and this is a classic stephen king maneuver we see this in stand by me Mm -hmm. and it in the flashbacks um and stranger things oh wait that's not never mind um the bullies are not fucking around man they're gonna like they're carve going their name in your flesh and yeah. shit yeah yeah it's uh it gets very real very fast so we kind of you know obviously have built sympathy for arnie sure um well before we leave that sequence speaking of being getting real just mm-hmm. have to mention they tattle and the teacher uh yeah commits assault on the bully yeah <laughs> i i know it's a different time but dude if you saw a viral video on twitter the teacher grabs this kid <laughs> buddy ripperton by the, the shirt shakes him and it's like you don't fucking talk to me that fucking way shut <laughs> your mouth it's like it's hard it goes yeah. hard okay continue yeah the guy's seen war i'm pretty sure uh uh, so yeah, our our two main characters finally meet when Arnie and Dennis are uh, walking home to their respective homes, I guess, and mm. uh, they stop by and they see a junkyard uh, owned by one George LeBay, and displayed uh, right in front is an old dilapidated uh, Fury. Christine is sitting there, and uh, Arnie is immediately attracted to it. He goes over and he's like, how much is it? And they work out a deal for like 250 bucks or something like that. And George LeBay kind of goes into that his late brother, uh, Roland, originally owned it, gives some details about the car, the fact that it's named Christine. Um, There's a few more details that we learn here uh, that become relevant later. Basically, Arnie doesn't really have much agency in his life. His parents are very controlling and they won't even leave, uh, when he does buy the car, they won't even leave, let him keep the car at the house. 
So Arnie has now purchased the car and has kept and now keeps it in a rest, uh, and restores it at a do-it-yourself garage and junkyard owned by Will Darnell, who becomes up later. So that's there. That's like Act One. They're like setting up the pieces, and now the car is purchased, and um, yeah, Arnie's life starts to slowly improve while he's working on the car. Mm, so we think, I guess. Impro- <laughs> it's more of a lateral move. It's he slowly turns into and, a yeah. cookie cutter rebel without a cause fifties rockabilly douchebag. Which That's, is yeah, it's it's delightful a delightful choice. Big it's choice. Super. It's super funny to say it like that, and you're absolutely becomes, right. That is what it is. He gets a pompadour. He gets a red driving jacket. That's like, the driving That's jacket. like you're, you're like jumping from like. Uh, oh yeah, short, you got to boil the bloom to Brumblefly. You, you got to boil like, the frog on this, or people won't accept it. Yeah, right, right. When you watch it, it's not as like, well, that's weird. But it is. He does do that. Uh, it was an active choice made by you know the the, the filmmakers uh, because I think it's more of the time that Christine was alive. So we're just seeing Christine's influence. And there's right. a cool thing that they do is that when he starts working on it and they start driving around, there's a shot of the odometer that we saw at the beginning. I love when he this. he buys it. And it's like almost a million. It's like 900,000 something. 93,000. Yeah. And um, yeah. And then as mm-hmm. we, as the movie progresses, the odometer goes down. Which they don't call out. No one goes, the odometer's gone down. So I liked how subtle it was. I do think people could miss it. And man, I just love that because let's be, or I think being honest, as like at Cracked, let's say, or as sketch writers, specifically in the sphere of comedy, your brain is sort of becomes wired to do what I call Rolodexing. Other comedians don't call it that. That was just a term I used at Cracked. But uh, meaning... If someone goes, you got to write a sketch about an evil car, you think about what are all the famous cars, Kit from Knight Rider, what if he was evil? What are all the famous things that are evil? Satan, could there be Satan and the car, Hitler car? This is called rolling. Like you just go through everything and you think of stuff by combining the elements and seeing what connects to those elements. I never would think of the odometer goes in reverse when it sucks someone's life force out, you know, like a vampire car. Right. That's such a good way to do that. The odometer goes down. I love it. It's fabulous. Ding dong, darling. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, that. I love that. Um, And and you're right. It's (laughs) subtle. I think credit to King for conceiving of it. And uh, credit for to Carpenter for like kind of bringing it home and not making it like, oh, look how cool. Uh, That's kind of one of the things that Carpenter is really good at. Um, So, yeah, he Arnie is now kind of he's losing his glasses. He's dressing a little cleaner at this point in the story. Not like a nerd lost his glasses, meaning he no longer needs glasses. Sorry, that sounded confusing. (laughs) Also becoming arrogant and. Uh, paranoid specifically when it comes to the car itself like when people don't like it or people are like man that was a bad decision to buy that car Um, i love the interchange where i'm (laughs) paraphrasing but his new hot girlfriend lee cap uh is like he's like you don't you don't you're acting weird because you're jealous of my car right and she's like i hate your car why 
because you say stuff like that like <laughs> this right now is not it's pleasant weird. <laughs> you're yeah. like yeah he's like you you think it's weird how much i talk about the car don't you and it's like <laughs> yeah, i do now about yeah the you're car doing right it right now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i mean you you admit it's it's funny that you just keep Harping on the car, right? Uh, so, so obsessed with the car, like Gollum with the ring, for sure. I mean, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, he learns, there's a few more scenes that he learns a little bit more information about the car. Uh, uh, one through Arnie's mom, where Roland actually committed suicide in the car. Um, Not Dennis only that, but his daughter... To- his yeah. Roland committed suicide in the car, as did his wife, and his daughter choked and to death wife, in the car. Yeah. So everyone keeps dying in this car, which uh, leads to Dennis going to the uh, old man he purchased the car from, LeBay, and. I like think this is funny him. just because in the next sequence, I would understand because in the very next sequence, the car does something magic in, in Dennis's right. presence. And he's like, this car is possessed. But right. at, I just want to point out at this point in reality, <laughs> he just thinks something is fucked up about that car and he knows people died in it. And so he goes to an old man and shakes him down and is like, you fucked us. You sold us this fucked up car that you knew someone died in. He's basically like publicly shouting at a grieving old man whose brother died six weeks ago. I just think it's it's as if he knows the car is magic already, which he doesn't. <clears throat> Please continue. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's kind of a funny uh, interaction but yeah so the big thing one of the big next steps is that during a football game uh which dennis is the quarterback again uh christine r- rolls up and now is completely cherry as they say um oh yeah completely looks like a new car and arnie comes out and while he's in the huddle he notices that uh as you mentioned lee uh, steps out and they're kind of like it, that's how we learn that I guess they're dating or something because they're kissing and we knew from a previous scene at the lockers that Dennis is kind of sweet on Lee uh, everyone is she's like the you know like most attractive woman in, in school she's the exotic new girl yeah yeah exactly um, oh also and- a thing that never paid off that was kind of odd Dennis blatantly ignores this other girl who's clearly in love with him. Right. I guess she just gets snubbed and that's that. Because <laughs> I we think don't... it's all in the service of Lee. I think it's to right. show that Lee is... It's to is... build up that like Lee is the it girl. Everyone the wants yeah. Lee. You know, like she's she's just amazing. You know, uh, so that we can have two... It's kind of interesting because they have a point of contention. Like, oh, well... Let me go in order. So what happens is while that he's distracted by looking at that, uh, he gets uh, <laughs> he gets tackled and it like ends his career as a football player. Like, um, which we get the impression Christine did. So I guess right. her magic can reach even outside the bounds of the car somewhat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and their kind of first meeting, uh, which is a few scenes later, but just to wrap up this arc here. Um, they even talk about like, oh, I saw that you're with Lee now. And he's like, yep, uh, it's kind of awesome and all that. Uh, what's crazy is that once again, usually 
like as we as we said with this movie before, it's already peculiar, I guess, especially in 1983. Oh, um, in, considering it's two... 1983, I think it's actually way ahead of its time. Like we mm-hmm. talk about movies like Tire, that movie where the evil tire kills people, as mm-hmm. like. Can you believe how imaginative that someone thought of making an inanimate horror killer? Dude, Christine, it, it it's really fresh. It, that's It's surprisingly fresh for being from 1983. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's basically like, yeah, it's built genres out of the, the insane concepts that are mm-hmm. in play. But um, I thought it was ahead of its time, like as you mentioned, that you have like a jock and a, you know, it's not... A jock and a nerd, I guess. Um, it's not that's not typical for uh, Stephen King, but usually it's the losers' club and the losers only. But it exists, and that's fine. Also, they kind of dangle in front of us a typical teen drama, especially high school deal. Is that if like someone is with someone, the girl uh, comes between them, and yeah. there's a feeling of a love triangle, or at least someone is you know like has a crush on that guy or girl that will come to a head, you know, that will cause strife in their relationship. Or at least a handy on the bus. Uh, you know? And once again, credit to Dennis, he's, you know, kind of hurt about it, but doesn't make, you know, doesn't, isn't an asshole about it. He doesn't make Arnie feel like screw you, uh, Arnie for taking my girl or anything like that, which is very well trodden territory, especially in the eighties. Uh, in fact, Arnie in th- that conversation at his hospital bed is much more of an asshole because he's like not accepting that there's any feelings that uh, Dennis might have. In addition, Dennis just he can't use his like leg anymore, like basically for a bit. And also his career is over if he ever wanted to be a high school football player or if he ever wanted to be a football player. So, it's yeah, Dennis just kinda- is a great guy. Well, that. And this is another thing that's very interesting about the film. Did you notice the film does not have a traditional story arc in terms of the protagonist is the arc and we follow them and their arc goes up and down. Mm -hmm. It kind of is a relay race where the car is the main character and then Arnie is the main character, but then Arnie morphs into the antagonist and Dennis takes over as main character. And then I would argue at the end, Dennis becomes Lee, the antagonist. Almost rivals, Lee almost rivals for main character. It becomes this weird ensemble piece where each character takes the spotlight for a phase of the movie almost. Yeah, they kind of do do As we care less about Arnie, we care about him, but we're like, okay, he's evil. So when we see him, he's going to do evil shit. We phase into... Now we're like, is Dennis okay? What's his plan? What's Dennis going to do? Very interesting. Yeah. uh, And that means that everyone has to kind of have the same beats, I guess, except for Arnie, because Arnie just has to become one with the car. Well, everyone has to slowly be like, is this this really, this car is evil? I think, yeah, I think this car is fucking possessed. So for (laughs) Lee, that is uh, the next scene, which is... um, Lee and Arnie go to a uh, like a movie theater. A Richard drive-in. Pryor movie, baby. Yeah, and uh, Christine's windshield wipers stop working, and they're at a date. And he goes out to fix it. And Lee, who's already voiced that she's like, I don't really care for this car. I can't re- recall the reason why, but this one is why soon enough because she starts to choke on her hamburger, and the radio turns on once again. 
which is kind of how Christine talks to humans in a way. Cause she, yeah, yeah more on that it later. Picks, it picks songs with lyrics that with are appropriate that are apt, to the moment, which is, which you know, is great. A, a typical trick, fun uh, but trope. very cool. Very fun. Uh, and she starts to choke on her hamburger. And so her life's, She's, her life is threatened and it's very obvious just from watching. And footage. I forget like, what song it plays, but it's like a Buddy Holly song with lyrics like, I'm going to kill you, bitch. You're going to choke on a burger. <laughs> it's like about what's going on. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, I think it's uh, people. Wait, what is it? It's Every your mind. Day, it says your choking mind. Choking on a burger. Okay, anyway. <laughs> choking on a burger. I'm an evil car and you're gonna die. Right. Uh, <laughs> back back to task. Uh, so yeah, obviously that goes as we'd expect. Incidentally, is like crazy can- that it then cuts to him dropping her off at home. Yeah. And her saying, I never want to ride in this car again. Why'd she even let the car take her home? I would not get in that car, right. period. Because it's very clear that she felt like while that the happened car with is the alive. light and everything, yeah. she felt something. It wasn't just a visual experience. Like she felt like an evil presence come from the car. So she's totally convinced at this point. Um, and like the door, the doors locked themselves and yeah. kept Arnie from so opening the door. So now she and Dennis are like... Arnie is under the persuasion of the car. The car's evil. We got to save our friend and destroy mm-hmm. the car. So they're a team. Yeah. So the next scene is that uh, the school bully who we saw from the beginning, Buddy, who's like kind of the <laughs> ringleader, uh, is being expelled uh, after- Because like, of drawing the knife on them earlier in the yeah, film. So he blames them. He he and his uh, bully pals go to the- um, junkyard slash garage do it yourself garage Dude. and they vandalize christine they um, vandalize are you just gonna say vandalize they wreck christine they up wreck like up. it is yeah. a street fighter bonus level dude <laughs> they wreck the shit out of christine and mm. one of them shits on the dashboard yeah it's yeah. great it's a good uh, scene and then the next scene uh, is Arnie sees it uh, as well as Lee sees it. Midpoint. And they're like, oh, no. And then later that night, Arnie goes to Christine and says, all right, let's see what you got, basically. Because he has a connection, a psychic well, connection with Christine. he is beginning. This is the, I, we I get the impression yeah. that this is the first time he's seen it do magic himself, personally. Literally does Because he says, yeah. uh, but like. You can tell he's suspected for a long time the car is somehow magic, but right. to realize it's alive, he comes in and he goes, okay, show me. And the car does living shit. <laughs> the car moves well, it around. It restores and itself. And uh, we'll, t- we'll just leave it at that. It regenerates. It becomes cherry again. Because uh, I'll explain how they exactly did that, which is kind of what makes it's that kind of visually like, I will tell you, if you haven't seen this movie, 1983, watch it. The the power of just like simple film effects. tricks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a trick. Um, so then what happens is then we get trick. the feeling that Christine, once that's done, now the bow's broken in terms of the narrative for for the most part. Christine now can drive around and we're not like we're not sus- the the belief has been suspended, uh, so to speak. So <clears throat> Christine like basically hunts seeks down vengeance. the bullies, kills yeah. them one at a time. Uh, and they do a really cool thing mm-hmm. where Christine's windows are now tented and it actually creates a very, because as we said, Arnie leaves the spotlight and I found it really effective how 
the moral question becomes, so you're like, right, Christine's going to kill people, obviously, by crushing mm-hmm. them. She's a car. Um, but you idiot. But um, uh, you start wondering, is Arnie in the car? Is mm-hmm. Arnie like fully on board with what Christine's doing or is Christine driving around at night of her own accord Mm -hmm. and the movie withholds that information. I just think that's a great withhold. It works really well. Right. Uh, yeah. So she hunts down the bullies, um, playing she kills various a bunch of people. cool songs. She, she kills, kills a lot the of people, owner yeah. of the garage Darnell because he was like, he's like when she drives back and parks it, parks at her home, I guess he starts asking questions cause he thinks that Arnie's in it. So yeah. she kills him too. Uh, and now we have the police. The police is on the case because people are just dying and most people see this car driving around. So Arnie's obviously implicated. Oh, right. That's the other thing is Arnie has to be like, the car doesn't seem to have the desire to not get caught. It doesn't mm-hmm. give a shit about that. Right. So Arnie is quickly, even though he's evil, he also is like, to the cop, you see him break and be like, dude, I really don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I was an asshole earlier. That doesn't mean I killed these people. Arnie, at the same time that he is fully evil, is also not incentivized to let Christine commit the murders because everyone Christine kills, they're like, okay, a seventh person has grill marks all over their body to match your car. Like, we think you did it, obviously. Um, So he's got cop problems. Um, Meanwhile, Dennis and Lee, through their shared trauma, think they're falling in love with each other, but it's just an infatuation, in my opinion. But but according to movie logic, they fall in love. Um, And the car... If you've seen the Futurama scene, the honking, this is where it's really on the nose. Uh, This is where they square off in the car warehouse, just like in Futurama. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lee and Dennis get planned to crush Christine with a bulldozer after luring Christine to the fix it shop, which they do. Mm -hmm. And by, I think going and carving in the hood, meet us at the fix it shop. And Christine hates when you fuck with her paint job. So Christine's like, yeah, I'll kill you. I don't give a shit. Comes to the shop. uh, Unfortunately catches Lee while she's outside the bulldozer. So it becomes a game of, Car is chasing Lee. Lee Dennis is then, chasing yeah. in the bulldozer trying to and crush it's very the car. Slow, <laughs> which is kind of funny because uh, it's yeah. a bulldozer after a car, but it's also in the um, small space so no one can drive as, that fast. And then the big reveal that I love because there's a payoff from the withhold. Arnie is in the car this time for sure. So it's, uh, it's even darker. Well, I mean, of course, it's the climax. You're going to play all your cards. But mm. I just love that. It worked on me. It's a great payoff. And yeah. uh, they managed to crush the car with the bulldozer, get it to crash into the bulldozer. I kind of forget. Uh, and Arnie flies out the windshield. He crawl, He lunges forward to try and get Lee, but he's got a shard of windshield glass in his heart, and he dies. And the car sings some kind of song in his honor. Again, I forget it. Mm-hmm. I think it's the burger choking song again, which was weird. <laughs> it was but, a weird um, choice, John Carpenter. Um, oh, and just as the car... Just as he crushes the car, Dennis, the odometer mm-hmm. rolls over to a hundred thousand or zero zero zero. Okay, I didn't get what that means in the vampire, like you know what I mean, in the vampiric system. Rolling, I think o- it means it's brand new now, it has sucked everything it could. Oh, really? Oh, by, by yeah. completely consuming Arnie, yeah. Oh. 
Oh, okay. I think it's like I took a life, so she's now like literally alive uh, with full. I mean, I it's a sliding scale of magical. It's like, somewhat up to interpretation, power. but yeah, yeah. But anyway, hard cut to Christina's crushed into a cube. Uh, she's still alive because she twitches little pieces of metal. But it's like, what are you gonna do, Christine? You're in the landfill, crushed into a cube. You can't yeah, really. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Fuck you, Christine. Drive away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So uh, uh, the cop is also there and they're like, it's a shame about Arnie though. And he's like, some things can't be helped. Some people too. Good line. Decent line. And then decent, yeah. even better line, I think. Christine from within the cube plays music, plays some song about, oh, I think it's a, a rock and roll will never die is the lyric in the song. So, you know, mm-hmm. basically Christine shaking her fist at them, like, I'll get you next time, you meddling kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, it struck me as very green room. And this is why I thought Lee sort of took over as a protagonist at the very end. Mm-hmm. Great delivery on God, I hate rock and roll. <laughs> and uh, right. and roll credits. That's it. And then Bad to the Bone plays, which was the choice of the... Um, that's, that's the, the title song. song. Yeah. It's also the song that we start with. It's kind of the theme of Christine. It's uh, sort of... Bad to the Bone. I love it because it's musically saying what that looper scene says where he goes, yeah. don't worry about time travel. It's... Uh, right. This car bad. is bad. bad to the bone, meaning... We do not offer any explanation for why it is bad. That's right, not going right. to come. The car is bad. And, you have to accept that one thing. And I kind of, yeah. So, <laughs> well, also just got to say what I love about that is uh, in our Dr. Sleep episode, we sort of X-Menified the Stephen King verse. And I just can't get over that idea, man, of Abra and the ghost of, because it's post-Dr. Sleep, the ghost of Danny mm-hmm. doing X-Files cases. How good would Christine be as an X-Files case? Because then you could say right. The Shining, because we already saw in Dr. Sleep, The Shining can attach to a place, which is the case in the Overlook Hotel, but it can also yeah. attach to a person, Rose the Hat is evil shining whatever uh it could also attach to a car why not and abra could fight anyway that's all procedural too because i know that there's like salem's lot which is just about a town and castle rock is like but castle rock i haven't watched castle rock for all i know castle rock is the show i'm describing but it's not okay uh, but it does make me ask the question though because especially when i started thinking about that as a procedural which would be great uh, isn't that what like medium is? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't even, know. Medium. I don't know. I haven't watched medium. I don't know from medium. But it feels like that's what medium's about, mm. but I don't know. It's a good show. You should pick it up. Somebody, Stephen King, probably who mm. listens to this podcast. <laughs> um, that's, so that's that with, uh, the dome. I want to segue to our next section, which we have called skeleton crew. Uh, This is about the creative team and any interesting thoughts therein. Uh, Did you know that Stephen King's popularity was uh, so big at this time that before he finished the book, this was already into production? Yeah, they jawsed it. Isn't that insane? (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That's a book of like, think about that happening now. Think about Harry Potter, that like last Harry Potter or something. Oh, I mean, those deals are as good as secured, I'm sure. 
while she's writing. Like J.K. Yeah. Rowling wasn't worried they would stop it for emojis. George R. R. Martin's you know what probably I mean? a better example because they actually kind of did that. But they it's because they mm. knew that he's a maniac and he takes 10 years to write a book anyway. Right. So they're never going to make a show. So they knew that they, <laughs> they were going to beat that ticking clock. But it's just weird that it's like it's such a sure thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's they, we're like and that this is 83. So he's been, man, 40 years of just being on top. That's uh, that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, he does. All right. The other thing he merits a podcast. He merits a podcast. The other thing. Uh, so John Carpenter, who's fresh off the thing. Well, not fresh, but like, you know, that was his last movie. That was 82. And um, that's pretty fresh. One year. It's. Did not do well, the thing. Uh, he It flopped, which is- Y'all are stupid. Y'all stupid. Audience of 1982. I'm, yeah, who knows? But, uh, Dude, that's you know. a year before, Christine. The thing's even more ahead of its time. Jeez, wow. Yeah, the Carpenter thing- Carpenter rules. Yeah, <laughs> and I thought that this was an insane because look at what we did to this poor man. John Carpenter is a hero- as far as I'm concerned, until you know something happens, or he's like, oh, actually, mm. he's not a hero, which I'm sure that's probably true <laughs> at some point in life. But John Carpenter is like just one of my favorite aspects of John Carpenter is he just like chose to like get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> like he's like, I'm done making movies. I'm just gonna play Xbox and just, I'm just chill. gonna play <laughs> AC Valhalla and yeah, tweet exactly. about it and shit. But uh, so anyway, at this point in his career, he was really worried about being a director at all. Uh, he wanted to direct so bad, but he realized that like the things that he wanted to make, namely, you know, like the thing, uh, did so bad at, poorly at the box office and critically as well that he took Christine as a job and, and he said, it's like, I took it as a job as opposed to a personal project, which mm. to me is him like understating, how much he cared about this movie. Um, I think he, he has this uh, quote that I found, which is that in retrospect, uh, Carpenter stated upon reading Christine, he felt that quote, it just wasn't very frightening, but it was something I needed to do at that time for my career. And a technical challenge. And it had a pretty good technical challenge. And yeah. he did it. And he did it well. Yeah. He I don't know. I think it's, I, okay. That's, I can accept that. It makes me a little sad. Like you want every artistic collaboration to have passion behind it. Mm -hmm. But even if it wasn't his most passionate project, he did his job. It worked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And in order to do that, this is kind of a news, uh, Carpenter brought on Roy Arbogast, who was the guy who did a lot of the, uh, super, uh, special effects, uh, in the thing. So the team's all back together and it makes sense that they figured this stuff out. Um, that's it for me on skeleton crew. I, I think there's the rest of this podcast is more served by, um, jumping into the scene work and stuff. What, uh, unless you had anything to add, um, just that they added extra fuck words to get it up to an R rating because it wasn't that. scary. It wasn't scary enough to warrant an R rating, and they were like, That's "So cool." Our Stephen King horror movie can't be PG because there was no right. PG thirteen at the time. They're like, "We can't do that," so they added the word "cunt face." <laughs> Yeah, they did what they, yeah, that's such, that's like the most Carpenter thing to do ever. 
it's also throw in a cunt face. That's what I mean about it's so fitting. His name is Carpenter because he always takes the reasonable solution. Right. Yeah. It's always reasonable. And he's like, it's not that scary. Why am I trying to make it crazy scary? They're like, where's the blood? And where's the, he's like, I don't know. It didn't seem necessary. And then they're like, well, now it's PG. We got a PG and no one's going to see a PG horror movie. Uh, Other thing I'll say, uh, about the cast and crew is just the absence of skeleton crew shit. Like this cast is almost entirely unknowns who never made a splash again after this other than LeBay, who we got to mention skeleton crew wise is the doctor from the town of redemption from the quick and the dead recently covered on frame rate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and of course, he's the old man in Home Alone. But Quick in the Dead is yeah, Robert's better Blossom. than Home Alone, yeah. if I may presume to say that. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, and he kind of kills it in this, right? <laughs> I thought he did. Oh yeah, and he has such a unique. He has, he has a, like what I consider the basic old man voice, but also <laughs> so kind. Like he's just the kindest old man. Yeah, he has such a inimitable old man voice that you want to imitate. Uh, which is, which makes inimitable a terrible choice of words for right. that sentence. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I guess that's all I got. Well, that's a good, that's a, we should move on to it. Okay. Bill, if you'll come with me, you'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float too. This is where we talk about scene works, themes. Symbolism, etc. So you can't spell you can't spell shitters without it. You shitter. Uh, I just wanted to point out first, right out of the gate, that's your Stephen King word watch for this episode. Stephen King has a unique flair for fifties lingo mm-hmm. that no one uses anymore. He just has an affinity for it, and every episode we find some kind of. We get ourselves in some kind of situation with like a bite my bag or a, hey, you scrote sniffers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this time it is shitters is the one that I think is unique to Christine. Everyone calls each other shitters in this as if that's a normal slang in this town, even though in no other Stephen King book or movie can I find people calling each other shitters. That's all. Uh, Yeah, that's. I didn't even think about that, but that's why your word get your word, man. Um, yeah. So the way in which when you watch the thing I wanted to talk to, which is obviously it's like I have uh, some actual like real shit to talk about. Did you want to get into that? Uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about the big set piece. I'd say which they kind of okay. do twice. One time. Uh, they do it very, very well, uh, in my opinion, which is the simulation of the car regenerating itself. And uh, the way oh, in please which- explain, because I assume uh, can I just I mm-hmm. I assumed it was backwards footage. But then it occurred to me, I don't un- I don't know how I would crush a car. Mm hmm in real time from the inside or like without seeing it. So yes, I was, it's a conundrum and I wanted to delay a little longer before you tell me, but now you may dispel the magic. How the fuck did they do this shot? Well, the first thing that helps uh, to do this kind of, like, let's say you, you want to make a car regenerate itself. The first thing you want to do is uh, spend a lot of money on cars. Uh, They had 23 cars in this movie. 
and all mm. by the end of and by the end of filming only two survived wow <laughs> so they went through these, cars like milo cars. and otis went through milo mm. and otis's 15 percent of the budget of the movie was just on the cars um so the way in which they did this particular effect is that they had these numerous Plymouth Furies. They used different actual cars for some of the footage. Like sometimes they used like um, like Chryslers and stuff, stuff like that, like in order to, uh, you know, like just be a fake or an insert shot of what would look like a Fury because there's a lot of similar cars uh, coming off that line at the time. But the way in which they did it is that they uh, they designed like plastic versions of the cars so that they could figure out like the puncture points to make the bending and uh, the deformation possible, like mm -hmm. and look good on camera. So they made these plastic things and go, okay, so if we pull that, that's gonna like cause this concave in because like the plastic would just break, but they'd at least be able to examine what would what would it be like if it were metal. But then what they did is they put these hydraulic pumps on uh, these cables, which would uh, essentially it was a rig that inverted like hydraulics are usually like a push, but they would invert mm -hmm. it so that it would essentially suck the paneling and the car body to inside the car as, a spo as opposed to push it out. Right. Mm -hmm. So when they turn on the hydraulics, a lot of pressure would be coming into a single point, which would essentially be inside the car, which would cause the outside of the car to buckle. You follow? So me? it is reversed footage. And then they just reverse the footage. Woo, it looks good. It looks really good though. There's only a few times that it's like very clear that it's reverse. One is like there's a, sh a shot of... Uh, the mirror, the driver's side mirror, and you can see like the dust that is that expands from when mm -hmm. a gla when glass is cracked, kind of like has this weird ramp up because it's backwards. So there's like a slow kind of dispersal of mist, and then a quick jolt into like when the break would happen. Um, there's also some times where it just like I think that the problem with uh, reversing footage with stuff when you break it is that breaking has like an impact and then there's kind of a buckling or a, like a blast radius from that break. Uh, mm -hmm. so when you reverse it, it looks like there's a slow fade into a, uh, uh impulse, but they did a good right, job. The tails of doing... are slightly. Yeah. What do you want, man? Come on. Yeah. They got no I mean, computers. Like, there's ways around that now with CG, but I just really right. commend this stuff. Uh, and it's just a really simple solution when you think about it. And it also is just, I don't know, there's some elegance to it. And I don't, if you watch the sequence, I think it speaks for itself. Um, they use hydraulics a lot in this movie, in fact. And I thought this is once again, uh, you know, the craftsmen behind men and women behind this film, they were like, well, we got these hydraulics We're already spending all this money on, like, we have to regenerate this car and this is how we're going to do it. They, I think they came up with the idea of the hydraulics in general, uh, with how Christine is presented. It's not just like, okay, you go out to make a movie about an evil car. What are some good things? Well, let's make sure we like, we like the color green as like it's sentience. So we're going to put like everything that's anytime 
like Christina's Live, we're going to put Green in there. And uh, we're going to make it a Plymouth Fury. We're going to do all these choices. One of the choices that they made that they didn't need to make is that when usually when Christine drives herself, uh, there's always a driver. They blacked out the windows, all that stuff, which makes a lot of sense. But in order to give the character more emphasis of like it or, yeah, give the Christine more character itself or herself, uh, they would put little subtle hydraulics in like the back or the front tires so that when she starts up, for example, at one scene when she's uh, at the overpass at night and tra- like chases down one of the bullies, it's not just the car starts and the lights turn on. It kind of tilts left and right and like comes alive. It's less mm-hmm. like a car starting and more like a beast awaking. Does that make sense? And I think that that's kind of a cool trick to do for a subtle effect that no one probably noticed. Yeah, that's what I, that was my biggest takeaway as far as craftsmanship achievement was that the movie showcases a surprising number more than you even notice at first or more than you can probably put your finger on until you dig deep and find out stuff like you just elucidated. Uh, if you were given the task, it's live action. This is not Brave Little Toaster. Make that inanimate object seem like a living, breathing character that's evil, that's the antagonist. Mm-hmm. Damn, they came up with so many tactics, yeah. so many clever ways in given 1983's limitations to make Christine be alive. Like, what they just really used every part of the car. We're like, what could a car do? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I can think of some stuff like, well, no, they even stuff they didn't use, like the exhaust could poison someone. They mention it. That's how Roland died. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, a lot of technique went into, and it doesn't surprise me that there's that level of attention to detail to like, I I was surprised there wasn't more sound design stuff. Like, a, I wonder if the vrooms of the car starting up are mixed with a lion growl at all or anything like that. I didn't hear anything like that, but th- that's the level they seem to be working at. And I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, some of the deaths, I mean, it's crazy that he cuts around a lot of the deaths. It's almost that's itself and like a exercise in like it's about the car and not about like the scene with where like I can't think of any actual like maulings that happen. We cut to the result of it. Right. Like. Well, the guy's fingers in the beginning, as yeah. you usually do, it's just like Jurassic Park, right? With the raptor or it's like mm-hmm. the opening scene shows, this is what it's capable of, but then you're free to slow burn it for the rest of the yeah. movie. Yeah. He does a weird, uh, Carpenter does this thing where he almost always cuts out. Um, and I don't know why. It's not his sensibilities. Like he's not being prudish because he just did the thing where he fucking shows the killings, as, right. you know, uh, plain as day. There's a few times that I think it's it's spectacular, but the more I think about it, I'm also like, hmm, he does it a lot in this movie, and I wonder why. Like it's almost going out of its way to be PG, and then which is funny considering the fact that they had to like add the amp F-bomb. it up. But like I'm thinking of the death of the main bully. Uh, What's what, Buddy? Buddy uh, Ripperton. <clears throat> All we just see is him pursuing. Christine is pursuing him down the highway, uh, and it's kind of nice. Oh, 
she just rolls over him very gently and he is flaming body lies there peaceably in the road, right? Uh, no, they, they cut, he's just running. That's what I mean. And then it just sort of hard cuts to a profile and his body is just gently like, oh, I guess he got hit. Oh, weird. I missed that because I actually made a note. Uh, you see his body lying in the street you do. on fire. Okay, because I yeah. thought they don't actually see it. They just mention it later. Uh, and No, they show it, but it's just like, oh, he's a lump in the street. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. very like Western where they get okay, shot and they that. just go, oh, and fall over. I did. And then, but I'll tell you the death I thought was effective was Jonah Hill bully. Oh, because yeah. getting hit by a car Trash compactor. is is Basically. only so scary, but making the car slowly rip its sides apart as it crushes you slowly. It was very like, uh, uh, like when, um, Bernie Mac got killed in bad Santa. That one really got me because mm. they spent a lot of time slowly. Like you don't die at first. You got to press on the gas to really crush him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a very effective death, but you're right. By and large, it is not Halloween. It's not about the kills. Yeah. And I, I it's think it's about that- the drama of the, teen narrative frankly right. it really it follows the drama of like arnie and you can see kind of where like i feel like carpenter's doing that like he has to take a win like he's the kind of guy that i think that yeah he's gonna go do the job but he doesn't want to be making this movie so much like it's not a passion project so he's gonna try to be like yeah i'm gonna do the horror thing that you want me to do but I'm not going to really be happy about it. Like, I don't want to pigeon uh, hold myself into like a I'm going to be because it's something he dealt with a lot is the uh, the concept of being a horror director uh, where mm. all you do is you just like bang out these, especially in the after the 70s where Slasher was king. Uh, this is kind of right at the time when the horror movies were they're popping them out and it was it could be considered career suicide to like jump into this very easy way of making money right now. Um, and that's why we saw in the late eighties and mid to late eighties, a lot of reactions to that horror genre. Uh, he's probably trying to find a way to not show the violent death on screen. And it's not to make it that I am not just a shock jock, essentially. Yeah. And it's, I think it's a nice touch in a fairly straightforward, predictable story. You wouldn't need to see any particular death. Um, You know, especially, uh, especially ones that you feel most justified in, like the bullies, you know, like we kind of hate the bullies. He did his work there. Uh, Stephen King crafted it to be like, you're supposed to hate those guys. Um, I don't know. I think, I think Carpenter gets agitated by that stuff. I think, uh, I know I would, um, what else? I think it's a surprisingly efficient third act for all things, all the things that happen. Um, the movie kind of moves. I remember having the effect of, uh, man, that was over. Cause this is actually the first time that I'd seen it. Um, when I watched it like a week ago. Me too. Yeah. Uh, cause it's just one of the only, which I'm glad I did because it's one of the only carpenters I have on my bucket list. I just always had kind of gone huh, killer car about that. Well, in this case, it's more of a truck at list, but sure. <laughs> so yeah, all the things that fun. happen in the third act, uh, it starts with a cut to Dennis. Like you mentioned, uh, scratching Darnell's tonight in the hood of Christine. Uh, but 
even before that, there's the one last scene between like Dennis and Arnie where they're driving down the freeway. And it's kind of got the vibes of like, this is the last. It reminds me a lot, in fact, of that uh, wire scene with. uh, Oh, I thought you were going to say what I wrote down, which is it completely reminds me of the final bullies scene from our movie. Kill me now. It's the exact same vibe as Todd driving around. Yeah, I I was going to say it reminds me of The Wire uh, for some weird reason between that scene on the rooftop with Stringer Bell and Avon Barksdale where Mm -hmm. they're like they're like sussing out like, are you going to try to kill me? Like, what's going on here? Because uh, it's very clear that Dennis is like, just, yeah, I'll, I'll have a beer. I'll drink beer and drive around with you. Yeah, you keep talking about your car and you keep mentioning that I hate your car and how much it bothers you. And he just is so agreeable all the time. It jump cut. It basically just crash cuts to uh, and then he's riding on the hood of Christine Darnell's tonight. It's just a nice way to cut out of that conversation immediately. We're in the next day and Dennis is making his move. We don't need a scene between Dennis and Lee where it's like, I think we got to like intervene. I think we got to like destroy Christine. Uh, there's no further discussion. It's just, oh man, this guy's really gone off the deep end. Cut to- Well, he's toasting, he toasts to death. Yeah, to death. Death, death to the shitters. <laughs> to the shitters. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the shitters are, I guess, just all losers, right? No, no, no. I think it's the opposite. I think this is sort of, it's an incel thing. Not intentionally so, but I mean, everyone who torments the losers, Mm -hmm. like that's something I appreciated about the movie is every horror movie at its core needs to turn the environment against the protagonist. And in this case, the antagonist is the car and the car actually doesn't have control of the environment because your suspension of disbelief would have to be too great, right? The car cannot sneak the car cannot get in cannot be above you in the ceiling and drop down the car cannot call you on the phone and be like i'm watching you uh the car can only do certain things so i thought it was incredibly smart and this goes back to king because it's obviously would be in the book as well is that It's also a coming of age story, but a a dark one. It's not like Stand By Me where he then lives a charmed life with his kids and writes a journal or whatever. It's uh, the version of the loser kid who actually finds the world a pretty tough road to hoe and like teachers overlook or belittle him. His parents give him grief. And it's that the, the angry young man, the teen angst, like, rebel without a cause literally they take that shit seriously the movie takes it seriously like Mm -hmm. there are you get uncomfortable in the scenes where you're you're like yeah that is unfortunate for this kid this aspect sucks the bullying sucks his parents don't understand uh and the school is not giving him the support he needs life is hard so it 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 does a good job of cultivating that look we know that the horror monster doesn't control the environment but just by virtue of the fact that he's a rebellious teen loser his environment is aggressive and antagonistic mm-hmm. and finding a way to dovetail those themes together. It makes the match more clean than you'd expect. You're yeah. like, Oh, Stephen King coming of age, teen angst does work with the horror of the car because in both cases, like, and this is what I want to get to, uh, cause I'm the word guy. When you let me, my craftsmanship compliment for this film is 
the dialogue could have been so much more cliche. The dialogue's way fresher than it needed to be. And uh, a Even line I really like adaptations is adaptations of Stephen King. You know, yeah, I think of Dead and he Zone says, "Why, and uh, why are you obsessed with the car?" And he says, "She's the only thing I've ever seen that's uglier than me." Dennis says, "You're not ugly, Arnie." And he says, "I know what I am." So it's this the the anger of the incel, frankly, the anger of the young white teen man who's like, "The world has discarded me. Fuck the world." And I do think that's an effective tactic in the case of this movie. Yeah, I was actually. I'm glad you met. That's a good segue because I wanted to discuss. Because you said like when we talked about the shitters, you were like, "No, I think that's just the bullies." I think there's some. There's an interesting notion at the basis of this, and this is less Carpenter and more uh, King, obviously, about how Christine is kind of an execution or an experiment in uh, uh, addiction. Or envy. I just have a few questions because, like, Arnie, as we saw, Arnie's stage one is like kind of that loser trope. And then he kind of descends into the uh, Rebel Without a Cause, even at one point wearing, you know, James Dean's like red jacket, more or less. And it's like, I haven't been rejected by society. I hate society. Right. It's that and flip. then it becomes anyone who is not Christine, basically. All people he sees. By the end, he means I'm going to kill everyone. I'm going to kill everyone. He means everyone. (laughs) Whoever gets in my way. Uh, And uh, I thought it was, I thought that the way that the story kind of unveils itself uh, is kind of feels like an addiction. And then I thought about, well, actually it's more like envy is like where all this is coming from. And it actually made me kind of like, kind of meditate on the concept of like how envy is an addiction because Arnie does come very arrogant and protective of Christine throughout the movie. For jealousy, right? Jealousy. Not to be pedantic. I just think this is a rare case where it matters. Like, yeah, jealousy is guarding something you have. Envy is wanting what others have. This case, it's obsessive jealousy. It it is once he's gotten the car, but it's envy, the motivation for getting her. Oh, I see. Envy of... Everyone else's lot in life. Everyone else's De- you know, lot frankly, in life. I Dennis, don't get anything. As emblematic. This as em, car will you know, make me blast yeah. me into the stratosphere. That's the classic trope of the teen And drama. of course, when you're a young pubescent mm-hmm. boy, a lot of it boils down to this car will get me Jimmy's, pussy, which yeah, he's big into. Exactly. Yeah. But he's like, that's the thing that's been denied me. Yeah. And I wouldn't call necessarily envy or jealousy a drug, but- Arnie does start envious of all other teens, as you said. Yeah. It's very Carrie-esque, which we'll cover soon, everyone. Uh, his life does improve once he gets her. And much like kind of mm-hmm. like an addiction, he's angry and protective of her. And they even put a moment where he hurts Lee's hand when he sees that the bullies have smashed Christine. They're like walking into the garage and she's like, "Ow, let go. And he's just completely laser focused on Christine and how and her welfare to the point that he's just crushed her hand. And I think that that's like that's not Christine doing anything there. That is literally like the the aura that Christine creates has created an addiction out of him. Uh, mm. There's also the discussion about Roland LeBay, who has our, who went. We're supposed to kind of see as a cautionary tale that almost is like a one to one. This is going to happen to you, Arnie. And it mostly does like this car just chews you up and spits you out. And 
it's because of what I think that the car represented them to them, like the best versions of themselves, which is sometimes what I've heard uh, addicts do as well, is that it's like, it's how you justify getting into the addiction, not necessarily like, I think addicts are usually very aware, but, uh, once, you know, they realize that their addiction has kind of taken hold on them, but they'll fight whatever they need to in terms of their, um, justification for doing it. Um, I think that because they place it in front of all, all of the things in the end, they undermine what they set out to do, which in this case was for Arnie just to become slightly more popular to, you know, like be known as like a kind of good, he's known yeah, as like a his, good guy, but like, as I, he doesn't I wrote need to it in my everything. notes, Arnie's arc is I would like to be cool and get laid, but I end up becoming so cool that it's deadly. Yeah. I'm too cool for for a school in which anyone is alive. <laughs> I have right. to kill everyone. Right. I'm so cool. I got to kill everyone. What a hassle, man. Uh, I also thought that he also sees the relationship with Christine is healthy. Uh, in that same scene with him and Dennis where they're discussing. He's fucking that car, dude. He's yeah, sticking he's his dick in he some says, part of that car. He eats everything. He has that speech yeah. where he talks about how, like, there's normal love and it just murders and kills and eats everything. All other love is monstrous in his eyes, but his love with his car is pure and it, he feels unstoppable. Like, that's right. what he's. Like, so that's something that I was like, okay, they're doing something here or King is doing something here. Even green being the color of sentience for Christine, I could see as like a nod to like, uh, I don't know. Maybe that's just like, Ooh, spooky, but it also could be, you know, envy is typically green, right? Oh yeah. There you go. There you go. I don't know. The green eyed monster. Although you think its headlights would be green at some point then. That's true. Anyway. Because those are more like, ah. But yeah, um, the wheels is the feet of the car (laughs) (laughs) or the hands. I guess two of the wheels is the feet. Two of the wheels is the hands (laughs) of the car. The engine's the brain or heart of the car. Uh, Can we talk about words now? I want to do line roulette. We haven't done that yet. Yes, sir. Okay. Because we talked about the film at Craft. Side note, he is obsessed with crane shots in this bitch. Uh, Used to great effect, a lot of crane shots. Um, But I want to talk about script craft because that's my jam. And there, again, I was just surprised by how there were no lines. There was no dialogue that I was like, that's the most clever shit I've ever heard. But Mm -hmm. everything was so solid. And there were some choice lines such as she smiled at me. I want to have deep, meaningful sex with her. I think that's good teen boy mm-hmm. shit talk um yeah uh, a line that i hope we can say to each other more often in our lexicon it reminds me of kick rocks you want a butt you go out in the junkyard can we just start saying that to each other more you want a butt you go out to the junkyard. you want a butt you go out in the junkyard and yeah. that's cigarette i assume yeah yeah and it's telling that, it's so? telling someone to buzz off and get lost yeah so like if i say oh. you know help me move you say hey you want a butt you go out in the junkyard kick rocks anyway kick rocks. <laughs> um, uh oh bad line bad line but funny line uh when dennis walks up to a chick and just goes do you like music that is a terrible pickup line do you <laughs> like music then she says i'm sorry i can't meaning go out with you and he says 
why not? Also, you don't do that. You don't, you don't ask do why, that. Not. why not. That's the end of the chat, my friend. She's yeah. she's made her intentions <laughs> clear. Um, do you like music? Why not? Uh, Nailing a, it. A line I liked. They just don't want me to grow up because then they'd have to face getting old. Has it ever occurred to you part of being a parent is trying to kill your kids? It's just deeper than this movie needed to be. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I, I, I also had that same effect when I yeah. heard that. I was like, whoa. whoa. I mean. Ooh, that's a little deep. You know, yeah. Metaphoric sense. Yeah. You got a lot of points there. Yeah. But also like, nah. <laughs> Oh, and then parents are like, let's kill this kid. Not the line itself, but I appreciate the maneuver of the line. There's nothing finer than being at the wheel of your own car, except maybe pussy. Because, again, it's like the odometer thing. I appreciated how subtle the planned payoffs were. Because all that, that's a payoff to LeBay saying that his brother used to say there was nothing better than that car, except maybe pussy. And so you're like, oh, he's turning into Roland. That's yeah, what's going on, which I thought was really thing. interesting. Because it's like, it's a way to make a plot offer. That's what I admire most about the storytelling, the word part of this movie. As you said, there's no scene where Dennis, there's literally no line where Dennis or Lee say, I think that car is evil. Uh, it's elegantly told in a low key way where they make it look easy, but they're like, we know our way around a story. And most importantly, we know the parts you don't need to hear. We know like skip this. They need to know that or they won't be able to suspend their disbelief, but you can skip right. all that. It's very efficient. It's very smart without being cliche in its structure or in its dialogue. Uh, and it's planned payoffs are clear but not beating you over the head. So the script is is what I would call uh, low-key solid, and and I like it. I like it, man. Yeah, I thought so too, or that was my takeaway, is that it didn't get in the way, and there was some nice little lines, more or less. Like, cause the, especially in teen dramas and high school movies, they have the tendency to go real dumb with it, because I think that that's how adults write teenagers. Right. And it's not that they aren't dumb or they aren't like severely flawed in their thinking. It's just we don't harp on it. And that's nice because it's like an old hat kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed that. One thing that I read is uh, that the in the book, the finale isn't uh, Bulldozer versus Christine. It's a septic tank that apparently comes up in the first part of the book which is they a vehicle that they also name after a woman, I forget the name, at the construction yard uh, that there's a construction yard that Dennis and Arnie work on during in the summer. That's how Arnie gets the money to buy Christine. Mm -hmm. And so metaphorically, I think this is obviously in King's mind to represent the power of something pure like friendship in the final battle. So it's like these two cars named after women are representatives of obsessive love and healthy love. Oh, interesting. Okay. So like one's a destructive force and one is a constructive force, literally coming from a construction site. Right. Uh, both probably women because it's from the perspective of a cis male. Uh, also, it makes sense in this interpretation. One is like fast and a flashy red car and the other is a slow and steady powerhouse. <laughs> you know, like I think that there's a little bit of um, Stephen King telling on himself there. Not in a, like a 
crazy bad way, but just in the way of like, there's two choices. You, you, you burn out <laughs> or you fade away, you know, it's that yeah. kind of thing. You get because the hot that's red Plymouth Fury or you get the crushinator. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that there's still a lot of points to be made about obsessive love and healthy love. Like the idea of like an obsessive love consuming you, um, you know, that there's a lot on point there. There's also this idea about like, uh, love comes from organically from people, you know, spending time with each other and enjoying each other's company. Uh, that is what I mean, I guess, when I am interpreting this as a pure, more friendship uh, based kind of um, love. And that is what I think the bulldozer in the movie was in King's mind supposed to be. But obviously you cut that out, I think, because it's. You want this thing to be a lean, mean machine, this movie. A lean, mean, pristine, Christine machine. Christine machine. And um, you don't need like a prologue, I guess. But I'm sure, I, th- I think Stephen King's really good about this. They chop up his books all the time, for better or for worse. And uh, he seems real chill about oh, it. Oh, yeah. He lets it happen. He's and I think that that's worried. the right attitude i think we've said this on this podcast before. he already made his money yeah exactly um there's also actually a, the, uh, the honest the real answer though which should be said because it's to his credit he he understands that he is a craftsman in one medium and that film is a different medium mm-hmm. which is really cool mm-hmm. of him yeah the last thing i'd bring up is that i th- i caught on the first viewing and i was surprised i think my eyes just randomly went to a spot uh, that when he goes to Darnell's garage uh, and we see the, the first shot that we see um, Christine in, I believe it might be the second, but it's the one where he like uh, honks the horn um, mm-hmm. in the background. The bulldozer is there. I just thought oh, that, that was a nice little touch. Nice. Yeah. That's something Carpenter does a lot is he likes to layer his shots with like in the thing, something's happening in the background. But instead of an insert to establish the bulldozer, throw it in the background of a master shot. Yeah. And he even goes to the point of sometimes, I forget what movie he does it, but like he gives you red herrings, you know, like. That's what I mean about the elegance. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the worst case, a lot of filmmakers will throw in a line. They'll let that shit get to the line where someone will be like. All those bulldozers are parked there. When are they going to move those? And you're like, okay, I guess the bulldozer is going to come up. How much How much more fun to just toss it in the background of a master shot to establish it? Mm-hmm. So much better. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think he does a really cool. He's, he's good at that. Um, film was shot in the same neighborhood that he used in Halloween. It's sure. another trivia I found online. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. It's just kind of cool. Yeah. And if you're into that kind of trivia, that's that. That's all I got for it. All right. Let's move it right along then. Mm-hmm. And mm. that's our final section called The Stand. It's time to leave your stand. In the place where you live. Now face. <laughs> that's not going to work. King. Uh, so this is, the, this is where we list... The King Pantheon, according to this podcast, uh, our usual caveat, this is the adaptations. We're not judging the stories and the novels. We're doing the adaptations in the film versions. And it's kind of, for me, based, the barometer is kind of, um, did I enjoy watching the film and was it executed well? 
yeah. And ties are allowed. Ties are allowed. And, uh, Which makes the whole thing overly complicated, I think. But anyway. Yes. <laughs> yes. But let's <laughs> Very do it. complicated. Yeah. Should we start at the well, bottom or start at the top? What do you think? Uh, this is one where I don't care. So you, oh, y- your choice. It's right in the middle of his list, people. Let's start at the bottom. You ready? Mm-hmm. So that makes what? One, two, three, four, five. Six. Uh, nine. Well, for me, it's eight. Well, it's it's ten. Oh, because you have two ties. Yeah. So we've done ten. At this point, we've done ten, ten episodes. Uh, episodes. This is our so ten. ten. Hey, films congrats. In contention. Uh, for yeah, it's ten films in contention. That's all. Um, okay. So bottom of the list. Dreamcatcher, baby. Dreamcatcher, baby. I have a, <laughs> like a fondness for saying that and keeping it there. Yeah, it's just good job, stay Dreamcatcher. There. Stay right there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, next one up. It. So this is the ninth. Yep. I put thinner. Okay. The ninth I position. I thought it sucked. Now that's this is the TV version, not the film version, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Stephen King's It, the proper title. Mm-hmm. Okay, so right above that, Dead Zone. Dead Zone. Great. Then above that, I have thinner. Yep, and that's where I have It. So okay. we just, as we learned... We just swapped it and thinner. So bumping up another notch, getting better, getting better. I have a tie. I think mm. The Mist and Christine are exactly equally good. Wow. That's that's really cool. I think they're uh, really comparable, in fact, <laughs> in different ways. Yeah. Um, what okay. do you have well, in this Well, I slot? have Christine as six. Okay. Then what's your five? My five is the tie between Mist and Dr. Sleep. Okay. Mine is, my comparable slot is Misery. Mm-hmm. So then above that, you must have Misery, right? Yes, that is Misery. Okay. Above that, I have a tie, Stand By Me and Dr. Sleep. So the notable thing there is how much I like Dr. Sleep. That's very high. Yeah. Like as we've found, uh, the only thing is the reason that all this is confusing and we'll probably just figure out a better way of doing this when it gets too long. Uh, the only difference is that you put, I put Stand By Me higher than you put Stand By Me you put Dr. Sleep higher than I put Dr. Sleep. And we also did the same on the bottom end of the spectrum with uh, thinner. And I eight. hate to say it, man, but I think we should, between this episode and next episode, break the ties. I think we should force ourselves to I slot them. I think you're right. Plus, it there's more make the data list points more at sensible. this point. I yeah. almost was like, well, I kind of... I, I like Dr. Sleep, but The Mist is really poignant and Christine is really like they're all doing something uniquely that I almost I was like starting to consider a three way tie. And I was like, no, that's stupid. Right. So what I, I think we should so even break up, the two ways. Yeah, I think we should probably just like. So we'll do that next time. List. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which will make it even more contentious list. That's true. Yes. But then number one's The Shining, right? Obviously. Yeah. All right. So far. I don't think it's going to get disrupted. But so as pertains to this episode, for me, Christine fell right about in the middle. It's of, a, of exactly. the King list and you too. Exactly. So yeah. So that gives you um, a, a vibe. Yeah. I bet a lot of our listeners haven't seen it. And uh, I think it's right at the cutoff point, as we've said so far, we haven't seen a lot of just like rated 
King adaptations, it's either overrated or underrated. <laughs> if you follow, like, there's a low tier where they tend to suck and a, and a high tier where they tend to be quite good. And I think this is on the low end of the high tier. So I wouldn't call this a mediocre movie because it's in the middle of the list. I would call it a good movie. But the middle right. of the list is where it happens to fall. Right. What we said last time is that the, it felt like just with the uh, low level of data points that we still yeah. have, that there's higher echelon and then just lower echelon. We're starting to get the middle of the pack now because what I think about Christine is that because of its execution, it is way better than uh, a lot that we've covered on I this still think like podcast. The, well, on my list, like the gap between Christine and Thinner is still a big gap. Thinner's bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think that in the higher echelon uh, for me in King, Christine is still just about it. It's about a movie about a car that's sure. evil. So it's hard. Like, oh, yeah. When we get to like... Yeah, execution does mean something, but also did I enjoy it? I still put like the miss. I still put Mist and uh, Doctor Sleep as more above grabby. Than, okay, because like I actually, I was like, oh, the the there's themes that are like, ah, oh, this is really good, and it's kind of a play that means this, this, and this, and I had more to sink my teeth into. Christine is kind of like nailed it, p- kind of perfect TV movie. When you think about it. Hey, speaking of sinking your teeth, should we do Salem's Lot next time? Uh, a lot of people yeah. pointed out when I said he's never done a vampire one, that that's his vampire one. Yeah. Does that mean we have to watch the yeah, whole miniseries? The 20, 2004 miniseries? Oh, is it a miniseries? I thought it was a movie. I believe it's a miniseries. Let's look it up. Oh, yeah. American television miniseries. How long? How many apps? Um, it's three hours total. Yeah, I could watch that. All right. We'll Let's, watch the three-hour Salem's Lot from 2004. There we go. Salem's Lot is next on the docket. Locked it. We locked it on the docket, and next time we'll talk it out of our mouth socket. Can you well, tell I'm you a rapper? Thank you, everyone, for joining us. <laughs> you still there? <laughs> Did I drive yeah, you away like I laughing. eventually do with everything in my life that's beautiful? <laughs> oh. <laughs> this took a turn. <laughs> dark turn. It's or a dark it's turn. Bachman-esque. It's a heel. We've done a real heel thing here. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's wrap it up. I don't know how to end this now. This I guess fun. we just say we love you. It's true. This has been a Small Beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.